colleagues and muggles welcome back to another episode of brain buzz we're your hosts i'm kyle and i'm drake and today uh drake and i are delighted to introduce the world to lydia roos lydia hi thank you for joining us uh lydia give us a little uh background where are you from what are you studying what lab are you in um, so I'm a PhD candidate in the health psychology program at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. Um, broadly, I study interpersonal stress and health through a biopsychosocial lens, and I work primarily with Dr. Jeanette Bennett in the Stress Waves Biobehavioral Research Lab. Um, so we really study a variety of factors that can contribute to worsen psychological and physical health when people are faced with interpersonal stress and trauma. Awesome. Nice. <laughs> so I'm super stoked about Lydia coming on because she's actually our first house psychology researcher uh, that we've had on other than my, <laughs> I guess we'll call mine an episode, the first episode we ever put out, but uh, it was not that great. And we're now really excited to actually have a good health psychology researcher on to talk with her. <laughs> um, a true so, and honest <laughs> health psychology researcher. Yeah, yeah well, no, I'm, I'm stoked. I'm excited too because um, obviously Drake knows a lot about this area, or well, relatively uh, about the health psych, but I know next to nothing. So I'm really excited to actually learn something today. I think this will be a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, let's let's get into it. Okay. Lydia, what are we going to learn today? Um, so I'm going to focus um, on a subject in my research that is a bit newer to the field um, and therefore not generally discussed or really known that much about um, in other areas or even really within my own field. Um, so that's going to be how stressful experiences that are not typically considered traumatic can still produce uh, post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD um, and then potentially have downstream consequences for health. So specifically, I'm going to be talking about infidelity and how that can focus or how that can function as a um, traumatic experience for betrayed partners. And then I'm also going to discuss a couple of studies that I'm currently working on to test some predictors and outcomes of infidelity related PTSD. Um, so those are things like social media creeping um, and then some potential avenues that infidelity can lead to changes in health and physical health too. Damn, this is, this is gonna be really fun. Um, <laughs> so Lydia, you're the, you're, you're the first researcher to come on and talk about trauma. So, so what is PTSD or how does it define in the, in the research and how do you define it again whenever you talk about infidelity? Because you said it's not necessarily always considered trauma in the, in the literature. Right. So um, first I'll uh, define what post-traumatic stress disorder is, so um, mm -hmm. otherwise known as PTSD. Um, so according to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, so that's what um, clinicians use to actually diagnose uh, people with any psychiatric disorders, um, and it's usually shortened to just talking about the DSM. Um, so in the DSM, PTSD is considered a stress-related disorder and it occurs after a traumatic event. Um, it includes four different clusters of, sim of symptoms. Um, so that includes first intrusion. So those are things like having intrusive thoughts, um, nightmares, um, experiencing distress when you're exposed to something that reminds you of the event. Um, second, that's um, cognitive or behavioral avoidance of things related to the event. Third is any negative changes in cognition. So those are things like beliefs about yourself um, or about others or any persistent uh, negative changes in mood or feeling detached from others. And then lastly, um, number four is changes in arousal or reactivity. So those are um, things like having an exaggerated physiological stress response, having um, problems concentrating or hypervigilance, problems sleeping, things like that. And then all of those symptoms, um, have, you have to be experiencing those for at least a month or longer. So it's um, considered pretty typical for people to experience things like that 
when you know it's right after an event has occurred um, but it really becomes a problem when they when people don't go um, back to their normal levels of functioning and then when it starts causing actually um, clinically significant distress um, but the reason why um, infidelity is not typically considered a trauma is because uh, it doesn't fit in with the first actual criterion of PTSD and that's um, called criterion A. So a criterion A trauma, it, those are events or experiences that include exposure to actual or threatened death, serious injury, or sexual violence. So they have to be physical in nature um, and infidelity is not a physical threat to someone's, you know, to someone's mm -hmm. health. Um, it doesn't involve death um, or anything like that. So that's why infidelity doesn't fit in with the typical DSM um, definition of what a trauma is but it can still uh, evoke those same kinds of responses and, um, and people can experience all of the same symptoms. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's so interesting too. And thank you for defining PTSD because I don't think, I think it's one of those diagnoses that everybody kind of knows about or they think they know what it is, but they don't really know the specific ways that it's diagnosed through the DSM's criteria. Um, and I think that's so interesting, uh, the point that, this really, it has to be a physical threat in some way. It's physical or a physical th th threat of physical danger because social relationships are so important in our lives. It's it's kind of crazy to not think that uh, infidelity or relational problems can be traumatic, right? Right, exactly. Um, there are there's research on stressful life events that include um, like interpersonal relationships and you know things like divorce and stuff like that. But um, and and we know that those are really impactful for health but it's still not from a PTSD perspective. So we're still not looking at post-traumatic stress disorder. Interesting, yeah, it's interesting. I know a lot. Of, there's a lot of like uh, ways to measure stress, right? And so when it comes to traumatic stress, there has to be this kind of separation between what is stressful and what is traumatic, right? Right. Um, and, and I think there's been lots of ways researchers have tried to get at this um, through like more like life events like you said like this there's life events checklist that say did any of these things happen because we would technically objectively consider these traumatic but it's also a big part of it is probably on the person that's experiencing this as well right and this is kind of right. where my research comes in is the perception of that stressor uh, right. is really important as well right and i mean i would argue perception is really what matters it's totally predicated on um, psychological safety so it's not just physical safety but it's psychological safety Exactly. We're not chased. We're not chased by predators constantly every day that now. Right. Like right. we've kind of gotten away from that. <laughs> it it also begs the question if like what to what aspect does perception of the event have to play a role in the traumatic experience of the event? Right. So if you're, you know, I don't know, I, I, I'm just trying to come up with an example here. But if you're driving along and you you see that there's been a car accident, mm -hmm. you know, that is a traumatic event, but you didn't actually perceive it. There was no threat to you at that point. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a better metaphor here. Well, it's interesting. Anyways, Kyle, Kyle, my cognitive aspect, at... my cognitive brain is like, oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you're kind of getting at like uh, the way that at least my, my lab and my research kind of looks at it is this cognitive appraisal uh, of the events, right? So, so you can have uh, yeah. two different people experiencing an event. Uh, and one one individual says, this is really stressful. I don't know how I'm going to handle this. And the other one says, eh, 
it's kind of whatever. Right. Uh, and those two individuals are kind of going to go down these different pathways where they're experiencing very different things where the one says, I'm not really stressed about it. So they don't have to worry about coping or managing the stress where the other has to say, okay, can I handle this? Is, is, do I have the resources to handle this threat? Uh, and then that's where it can go down and it can lead to these negative outcomes. Right. And then um, mm. PTSD, a lot of times is it occurs when people um, really feel like they, they cannot handle that, um, where it is yep. so far out of their comfort zone or um, what they feel like they're equipped to, uh, to cope with, that it's just completely overwhelming. Absolutely. And that's when it starts, you start to see these, these categories that you were talking about in PTSD, where you have these intrusive thoughts, uh, these negative cognitions and things like that, that right. are trickling down because of this uh, exposure to this event. Right. Cool. Okay. So now we've kind of <laughs> got into PTSD and talked about what's going on with that. Uh, infidelity. This is a really cool topic. Uh, we talked about relationship research a bit, but this is kind of, this is the nitty gritty. This is the stuff that people will tune into Maury Povish for, right? So I'm sure yours is just as exciting, <laughs> if not more exciting, Lydia, because it's actually empirically founded. Um, so let's talk about infidelity. Let's talk about uh, this traumatic event that, you're, that you've been looking at. Okay. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm going to start by just talking about how I actually got into this. Um, Absolutely. Because I, I think that that's important and, and just kind of set the stage for my research. Um, so I was originally, um, I was working as a research coordinator at the Medical University of South Carolina, and I was working on a study that was looking at uh, risk for PTSD and engaging in risky behaviors. And I was in charge of um, screening participants to be able to be included in the study and then um, kind of, you know, taking them through the rest of the study as well. But I realized during the screening that a lot of people were coming in and, um, and, and we had to go through this entire process for the screening. So not only did they have to meet certain criteria, but we, we went through the, the entire like, first part of the study with them, um, even if they didn't actually um, meet the criteria for PTSD. But what I realized were that, uh, was that a lot of people were coming in and they were meeting all of the criteria for PTSD and exhibiting symptoms that were um, past the clinical threshold for considering like someone probably has PTSD. Um, but they were, their traumas were not actually criterion A. So we couldn't include them in the study. And so we, we, we still like don't have their data just because their traumatic event wasn't physically threatening. Um, and so it made me realize that we were missing this whole, these whole, you know, this whole chunk of people that um, are, that could be experiencing PTSD and could ha really need you know, therapy, they might need um, just support, they might need to know that they actually um, should be kind of, you know, exploring that. But because they're not meeting that criterion A, um, you know, we're just not really looking at it. And so mm -hmm. that made me really want to uh, go into this field. And um, so in my master's thesis data then, which my master's thesis was actually not on infidelity it was on breakups but okay. um i something that often follows infidelity right so one it's might related think. but it's not exactly <laughs> the same thing um, i think it's so funny lydia because i really fully expected you to say you went through a bad breakup in high school and that projected you into <laughs> this research um yeah. we've had a lot of, I, I we've had a lot of guests we going that, too. i mean we've had a lot of guests that have a lot less like uh exciting research topics <laughs> and yeah. they've said exes have caused them to go down that path and we're talking about infidelity here so i thought it was assumed that's what was going on yeah but well, i'm I definitely mean, wrong that's interesting a lot of people who do study it have experienced it and i and i mean i've experienced <laughs> it before too but that's not that's not the only thing that made me want to go down this path 
Um, okay. Okay. So, so you did your master's in breakups, and so yeah, that so kind I of was led doing my master's this. thesis um, looking at breakups, and um, I but I still included some uh, infidelity measures in there and like infidelity related PTSD measures in it. Um, I didn't really think I was going to find anything though because. These were going to be um, undergraduate students. I just assumed that even if they were in relationships, they probably weren't going to be quite as serious as, you know, married couples or anything like that. And so even if they experienced infidelity, they probably weren't um, going to be exhibiting PTSD symptoms like like I might otherwise um, think that they would. And so I included um, those measures in the study. Um, not thinking it would come to anything. But then when we actually ran the analyses, we found that of the people who um, experienced infidelity in a serious committed relationship, um, that it was 45% of those people experienced symptoms that met or exceeded the uh, cutoff score for probable PTSD. So oh, it's super high, 45% yeah. of those people. Um, Lydia, do you have do you have numbers for like other traumatic events by chance? Yeah. So uh, for non-interpersonal events, so things um, like accidents or just like life threatening or dangerous ones. Yeah. So so those are um, like life threatening and, and, you know, physically dangerous ones. But um, but they're things that are, you know, caused by nature or by accident. Those mm -hmm. rates are between four and nine percent. And then for other interpersonal events, so things like, um, you know, being physically attacked or sexual assault, those are higher, but it's still somewhere between like 12 and 65%. So there's a big, uh, there's a wide range, um, but it's, it's still, um, you know, it, there's, there's a kind of middle ground there. And then yeah. for ours though, it was at 45%. So it's either on par with, or a little bit higher than other interpersonal events. So wow. it was, yeah, so it was very shocking. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I ran through my analyses a few times to make sure that that was correct <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh and then we started controlling for things controlling for things like gender because we know that um women tend to experience high, uh, PTSD, ptsd at a higher rate um and then i also controlled for exposure to other traumatic events that might um, otherwise inflate those values and uh it was still still held right there so um yeah interesting was, so men and women were both experiencing at the similar rates uh, right. regardless. Right. So, um, really I cool. actually looked at, I looked to see whether those were associated. Um, it doesn't seem like, uh, men or women were experiencing PTSD at a different rate for infidelity. Um, but I did not at the time have any data on whether the infidelity was, um, more, you know, like an emotional connection with someone else or whether it was sexual in nature, um, or both. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's something that I'm looking at now. Um, so I'm collecting some data now on that to see if there are any gender differences there. But just, you know, saying whether they have experienced infidelity, um, you know, that their partner cheated on them or not, um, that didn't seem to influence whether they experienced PTSD afterwards, depending on whether they were men or women. That's a really interesting point that you just made there too, Lydia, because how do you, how do you, like, so how do you define infidelity then, right? Because this is, as you said, it might be sexually, they, they, they cheated on someone by having sex with somebody else. They may have been emotionally attached to somebody else. They may have fell in love with somebody else. What is infidelity? Or how do, how do you kind of objectively, objectively look at infidelity? Right, so I, I don't know that there is yet uh, an objective way to define infidelity, but mm -hmm. um, getting back to what we were kind of saying before, I, I kind of think it's all about perception, um, mm -hmm. at least for the betrayed partner, that if they perceive that they have been betrayed, um, that their partner is, you know, in this other uh, relationship, whether it's a sexual relationship or, um, or an emotional relationship, 
um, that it, I think it depends on whether they really perceive that as like being cheated on um, rather than whether, you know, me as a researcher, if I say like, oh, you know, he, he kissed someone else. I don't think that that really constitutes as infidelity or not. Um, so yeah. I feel like it's not really my, my place to say what could be considered infidelity, but I am also now collecting more data to see, you know, does it matter? Um, uh, you know, yeah. like how far things have gotten, if it's um, a one-time thing versus something that's ongoing. Um, you know, all, all that yeah. kind of stuff. So that goes back to the cognitive appraisal aspect. You know, it has to go back to the partner perceiving that to be unfaithful behavior, um, and that maybe is what matters, right? Rather Absolutely. than the actual act itself, right? Yeah, it's like we were talking about with objectively deciding what's a traumatic event, right? So, right. Yeah. it could be traumatic if someone, if your partner kissed somebody, that could be considered traumatic if you perceive it to be traumatic to you, right? right? Or right. it's really stressful to you, right? So um, I would argue that it's the response that matters and not so much, you know, exactly what happened and exactly what, what person did what. Yeah. In the end, you're asking if, if their partner was unfaithful mm-hmm. and if they, if they think that that was unfaithful and they categorize it as unfaithful, that means that in some way that's how they perceived it. Right. Right. Which is interesting, and I, I do I do appreciate the idea that like you can't you may not be able to objectively find what's uh, figure out what's infidelity like what's unfaithful what's being unfaithful what I, what is the word is it infidelitous <laughs> <laughs> I want that word okay anyway I'm gonna ignore that um, but I think that's really cool because you have to kind of uh, determine what what's kind of going on within infidelity right so right. is it is it by categorizing it as it was kissing, was it emotional, was it this, uh, gives you more detail into saying like, well, what is really showing more PTSD symptomology uh, for these people? Right, and I think that um, since I'm, so far my research is really focused on um, that person's experience of it and you know their own mental health, um, that the perception is what matters there. But I definitely do think that potentially more, you know, objective terms of like, you know, whether it was, um, uh, whether it was, uh, a sexual thing or emotional or you know how far it went then that could potentially have like other um, effects on you know the relationship or whether the partner who engaged in that behavior actually considers it cheating um, and whether they're you know trying to get forgiveness or whether they're just thinking like no you need to get over it it was nothing <laughs> so I think it right, can have yeah. effects in other areas but you know for just um, if, if I'm just focused on one person's you know uh, the betrayed partner's PTSD, then I'm more concerned about perception. Absolutely. And within that, Lydia, I mean, before we get into the nitty gritty of what your actual uh, results were and how you how you measured these things, I imagine you're probably asking things. Oh, you, the, the study that you ran originally was about breakups, right? So all right. these situations were about a breakup. Uh, but I, I imagine there's a lot of, or maybe it wasn't that way. Maybe it's also people that are staying in these relationships after infidelity had occur, has occurred. Right. So actually, the way that I um, recruited people for my master's thesis study, I, I did not want people to self-select into the study um, based on mm. whether they'd experienced a breakup. So um, my uh, my master's thesis was actually looking at people who um, had experienced breakup, people who had um, continually been in a relationship, or people who had never been in a relationship. So obviously, the third category of people would not be included in these analyses. Um, but I did just try to basically it's like open to anybody who wanted to take it, and then from there I looked at um, at whether they endorsed actually. Um, experiencing infidelity in a in a serious and committed relationship, um, so I did have people who stayed in that relationship and people who um, who broke up afterwards. Great, and so 
I mean, before we get into it, were there differences for those or was it? So I did not find any differences on uh, PTSD symptoms between whether they between. were, whether they stayed in the relationship or whether they didn't. Um, however, people who stayed in the relationship, there was, a, there was a, um, many fewer people actually stayed in the relationship. It was about uh, a fourth of the people who had experienced infidelity stayed in the relationship. And so I didn't really have equal groups to compare it um, too well, but it just seemed like from what I could tell, um, they didn't seem to, uh, like staying in the relationship or breaking up didn't seem to affect um, whether they were, whether they experienced PTSD symptoms. I think it's interesting on its own, just being able to look at this, your data from your master's thesis and say, uh, 4% of people are staying in a relationship after they've been cheated on, or they've, they've described themselves as being cheated on. Which oh, is, eight no, fourth. A, so like eight fourth, yeah. a quarter, twenty five percent. I miss. I misheard. Yeah. That's a lot. It is a lot. Um, yeah. I was actually a little bit surprised by that because I think I think it's probably because people don't normally talk about it. If they do stay in the relationship, they just they they don't want to you know talk about mm-hmm. that with with friends or something. So just um, like anecdotally, we might not expect that to happen, but it does. Yeah, it's wow. not. It's, okay. It wouldn't really be something that you'd be out telling your friends yeah, about Yeah, you're not going to go drinks. advertising. Like, yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, my partner uh, was with some other person last week and <laughs> we're still together. You're like, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah. And this is interesting too. I mean, I, I obviously I'm, I'm assuming the large proportion of your sample was monogamous. I don't know if that was an eligibility criteria for you. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. yeah. So, so that was, um, but sorry, were you going to ask it? No, yeah. I mean, more or less, it's just like it's. It makes sense. This is new research. Not a lot of people are looking into this. So, I mean, you start off with what most people are, which is the the general norm is that people are in monogamous relationships. The idea is that uh, infidelity is whenever someone breaks this monogamous contract of, hey, we're exclusive, we're right. together in a relationship, right? When those boundaries are set, um, sometimes they aren't set. Actually, negotiated, right? This, generally speaking, if you get into a relationship and you start calling someone a boyfriend or girlfriend, the presumed norm is that yeah, you're not going to be going sleeping with people or going with it around and, and, you know, getting romantically involved with other people. Right. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I really only included monogamous, um, uh, people mm-hmm. or people who are in monogamous relationships. Um, but this, I would expect that this would not show up very much if people are in polygamous relationships or if people are um, completely open about, you know, seeing other people, um, then mm-hmm. it's not actually breaking those relationship rules. It's not, you know, violating any assumptions because the assumption is that, you know, my partner is is seeing other people. And then um, that would, you know, theoretically not lead to PTSD symptoms because it's not a shock at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's not going against what you expect. Yeah. I've heard of I've heard of monogamous couples introducing polygamy into their relationships later on. I could see that being problematic for this, though. Yeah. I, because you yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I agree. I, I think that that could be problematic. I have no idea whether they would actually um, exhibit PTSD symptoms, but mm. um, I do think that they could exhibit a lot of distress related to it. Yeah. Um, but mm. I still don't know if it would be because I, I think it's like the discovery of um, mm-hmm. something in the world happening that you assumed was not happening. Yeah. Right. Or wouldn't happen. Right. Yeah. Especially with PTSD or with, with traumatic events, right? Uh, you, you're aware that they can happen at any time, but you're you're assuming that they won't. Right, exactly. <laughs> and then when they do, uh, that's how you respond to that can dictate like uh, PTSD symptoms and other things, right? Right. And in this case, yeah. you're trusting that your partner is not going to 
um, to, you know, go be with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I think I think it's really cool. And, and before we get into your work again, I keep saying this, but uh, the the prevalence rates, so the the amount that people are experiencing these symptoms is really worth noting because that is uh, to me it makes sense because we put so much effort into our relationships uh, generally, and there's so much time invested in it that when something goes against what you've put so much time and effort into, I can see how that can be very distressing and, and can be perceived as traumatic. Right, exactly. Um, and then there's also in addition to you know it being an interpersonal trauma. There's um, another kind of category within that that um, is it's considered a betrayal trauma because mm-hmm. it's perpetrated by someone who is close to you, who you trust, um, who you assume to care about you and to support your well-being. Um, and so it even more so just kind of like shatters those basic core assumptions associated with trust um, and b- other betrayal traumas. So like you know, things that um, things like sexual assault that are perpetrated by someone who you should be able to trust, like a family member. Um, so those are known to result in more severe and long lasting health outcomes um, and problems than things that are perpetrated by a stranger. So even though it's interpersonal, you're really trusting that this other person um, is not going to betray you in that way. Um, and yeah. so that is thought to um, uh, to be even more problematic. Um, regardless of even if you are actually diagnosed with PTSD. So mm-hmm. this could definitely fit into that category, whether um, where you have, you know, you obviously have time invested, you have emotions invested in it. Um, if you're, you know, married and have kids, then you have uh, like financial investment and, um, yes. and and you have other things going on in your life that could affect, you know, what um, how large of a role this actually plays in your life. And then added on to that, there's the element of betrayal. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's quite large. So, yeah. Something on that, that you just mentioned was the, the investment, whether it's, you know, in a uh, sort of, you were looking at undergraduates in this particular sample, but I mean, you've got to imagine if you extrapolate out to sort of, I don't want to say adults as though undergraduates aren't adults, they are, but Older people adults. who are. Older adults, people who are married, have established families, have homes, have mortgages, whatever that might be. You got to wonder if that 25% would be a little bit low. Yeah. Right? Like if, if you're so like, it would be higher in the, in older pe- mm-hmm. people, like, yeah, older people yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. In that relationship. Yeah. Because they have so yeah. much else, so much other stuff invested in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, and I, and I think that that actually would be really meaningful to know that information, to be able to talk about, you know, PTSD rates and, in you know married couples like right that, that's hugely important exactly or even lo- even long-term couples as well right like you yeah i imagine something that you're you're looking at it would be length of relationships as well right right uh so the longer you're in a relationship the more investment you have in that relationship presumably right right exactly and then also because like even um you know young adults are people are typically waiting longer to get married now so um if we're if we were only looking at you know married couples then we're missing um, a lot of people who are like cohabitating and who are basically yes. living as married, um, but not married. Um, so, but I do think that even just, you know, having that additional marriage component could, could add a lot more of that, you know, investment quality into, into the mm-hmm. relationship. And, and so, yeah, I would be really interested to um, continue this research and do it in, you know, non married um, couples, married couples, people who may, might have children um, and see what kinds of differences come out of that. Um, yeah. And also see, yeah. you know, what kinds of things might uh, might help to prevent PTSD 
um, or help people to recover from that and help couples to recover. Absolutely. Certainly. Yeah. yeah. All right. So up to this point, we've got ourselves established on what you've been doing. Right. Where are we going next? What's our next? What's our question that we're going to talk about today? Um, so uh, one of the big things that came out of um, the study that I already did was that, you know, obviously we found that a lot of people were above that cutoff score. But um, when people were above the cutoff score, their their average score was actually really high. So um, the cutoff score is uh, 33 on a range from zero to 88. Um, and the you mean, average, sorry, when you're saying cutoff score, Lydia, you're talking oh, about yes, PTSD a, cutoff score. Right. So it's a, it's a clinical, um, kind of cutoff score that indicates, um, that someone probably has PTSD. So it's not a PTSD diagnosis, um, but it's indicating that people are, are probably experiencing, um, PTSD symptoms to a level that, that they might, you know, actually have PTSD. Um, so that clinical cutoff score is a 33, um, and the range is 0 to 88. But of people who met or exceeded that, their average was a 49. So it was you know, significantly above that cutoff score. And um, some other previous research has found that if people are um, at a score of 37 or higher, then that might be high enough to actually suppress their immune system functioning for up to 10 years following that event. So really, so there's um, so now I'm starting to get into what might be the physical health effects of this mm. and and how is that actually um, functioning? So yeah, absolutely. And then I and I also saw in our own data that um, that PTSD symptoms are highly associated with reports like self reports of someone's physical health. So what basically whether they think that they're healthy um, and that accounted for 20 percent of the variance basically and whether um, they thought that they were healthy or not. So it seems to be highly related to physical health in our data. So one of the studies that I'm um, working at or that I'm working on right now is um, I am trying to look at a more representative sample. So I'm looking at people who are married and unmarried um, and I'm looking at whether infidelity related PTSD contributes to poor um, self-rated health similarly to other traumas. Um, because I want to kind of make that comparison. And then I'm mm -hmm. also looking at potential avenues that that might be occurring through. Um, so things like sleep is, you know, that's a big thing. Um, and people with PTSD have a lot of sleep-related disturbances. We know that sleep is incredibly important for health. Um, so that might be uh, one of the avenues. And then another one is through sickness behavior. So I'm kind of getting back into that immune system route it, it is as you said like sleep it'll affect your sleep it'll affect your immune system right. these are all things that will physically affect you because right. of a traumatic event right and i think that's one of those key aspects about ptsd that i'm excited that you're getting into uh, because you can really see uh, how someone's physically changing because of this because of possibly infidelity right within their yeah. relationship and how it's actually physically changing them right exactly exactly so um so i'm really getting into that and kind of also um trying to make those comparisons between other, you know, interpersonal criterion A traumas um, and seeing whether there's any differences there. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, and then the other major um, project that I'm working on right now is actually looking at social media creeping. Um, yes. So also uh, known as, you know, like stalking, social media stalking, although we're not lurking. using... Yeah, lurking. Yeah. Um, so we decided to use the term creeping in this um, and not get it confused with cyber stalking. 
um, which oh, okay. is actually a crime. Uh, so, okay. Can you define those two? Actually, sure. that's, that's, I actually don't know the, the, yeah. the difference between those. Yeah. yeah. Um, a cyber stalking, I would imagine, is being more aggressive and actually like uh, making it obvious that you're actually contacting them and like following up. Is that exactly? No, that's exactly right. So, um, cyber stalking involves making someone else afraid or concerned about their own safety through um, harassing them online. Uh, mm. And then, but social media creeping, on the other hand, is a more uh, socially acceptable and um, something that's not a crime, um, but it's, it's uh, <laughs> repeatedly checking a partner or a former partner's page on, you know, social media, so Facebook, Instagram, things like that, to monitor the material that they engage with or that they post. So you're kind of mm -hmm. keeping tabs on them. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, so it, creeping is a little bit more passive and that you're not actively causing yeah it's weird okay yeah they're so, not necessarily aware of it but yeah you're, you're not right. the other person's probably not personal. aware of it yeah whereas with cyber unless you you're, accidentally you're... like a post from yes 42 and then, <laughs> yeah you double tap it and you like it yeah. by accident oh, no. <laughs> or you're you're somehow on like a third degree of friends that from one one of your exes and then you like them and follow them or something yeah right, that's a nightmare exactly. that's nightmare fuel right there <laughs> yeah. right exactly um so we saw um, some data that shows that uh, social media creeping had a really high association with infidelity-related PTSD. So people who exhibited you know, these really high uh, levels of symptoms were also creeping on their partners or their former partners a lot. So I'm trying to figure out why and what the directionality might be there. Um, so, so you said they're, they're cheating on their partner or they're getting cheated no, on? No, sorry. They, they're creeping on their partner. Oh, they're creeping. <laughs> so, okay. So I was like, whoa. People who were cheated on. Um, yes. Are creeping are on their partner more. that infidelity related PTSD are creeping on their partner more often. Right. Um, and so we're trying to figure out what the connection is there. Uh, mm -hmm. whether, yeah. My thought, you know, I mean, intrusive, intrusive thoughts, right? Would that right. not be like the availability yeah. of like being able to look at your partner? Be like, oh, I miss my partner or right. I'm thinking about my partner. Now I'm going to go look at their pictures. Right. Exactly. So it could be, you know, some kind of like rumination um, yeah. mm -hmm. involved in that. Uh, it could also be that uh, it's kind of a form of hypervigilance. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, if you're thinking about people who have PTSD from combat, they're constantly like looking around them to, you know, figure out if their environment is safe. This could be just another avenue for people who've experienced infidelity to figure out if their relationship is safe um, or yeah. if, you know, they're trying to um, increase kind of perceptions of control um, mm -hmm. in, you know, whether That's they're even... what I was going to say. Yeah. So, I mean, it yeah. could be a whole bunch of different things. This is why I'm doing this project. So cool. Yeah. So my thought is like whenever somebody's uh, creeping their, their either ex-partner or current partner that has been uh, unfaithful to them, that there's always this kind of uh, this tendency for humans to want to have like to reason as to why something happened or to see the see the um, like the red flags. Mm -hmm. So so going back through like a history of a partner trying to say, OK, well, there, there's a picture with them with another uh, the opposite sex or whatever that, that they may have cheated on or they may have been talking to and then going and trying to like think about where it went wrong or what right. happened and kind of put those pieces together. I think that could also be a part in it where you're kind of trying to reason uh, when it went wrong or why it went wrong and give yourself some sort of, some sort of answers towards that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's uh, actually a really good point. Um, and I think I'm going to add some questions about that to the data set now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. No, I think it'd be really cool to kind of like think about like what, cause there's always within breakups, there's always when it's something surprises somebody, I mm -hmm. find there's always someone trying to put the puzzle pieces back together and right. explain 
where did it go wrong? What did right. I do? Or what did I say? Or when did he start cheating on me? Or when did she start cheating on me? Right? Right. And so I think now that we have so much of our lives online and accessible, uh, there's just more stuff to ruminate on and stuff to kind of get uh, just stuck on. Right. So and it it's kind of, it, yeah, it's kind of sense making. Um, just yeah. trying to figure out, you know, so apparently what I assumed was my relationship was not actually my relationship or, you know, yeah. what I assumed was going on wasn't going on. So yes. now, you know, if that whole kind of world of assumptions is shattered, then I need to build up another one so that I mm -hmm. have some kind of um, uh, at least, you know, true like um, collection of assumptions now that or, or beliefs that do make sense for, you know, that, that fit with what actually happened. Um, so yeah. that's a really good point. Hmm. Um, and then, you know, like you were saying, that it's also kind of a method of rumination. So it might actually be that if people, it might be going the other way where um, people who are, you know, kind of creeping on social media are actually um, re-traumatizing themselves even without yeah. meaning to, that they're bringing these kinds of things back up without, without um, trying to do that. So I think yeah. there's so there much there's so lot. much there, Lydia. It's yeah. so <laughs> yeah. cool. I, I think it's I think it really kind of speaks to this idea of having all these things that no one had before, right? Like 30, 40 years ago, people did not have the ability to go look through photo albums of I mean they, they probably had photo albums. <laughs> so they were going through <laughs> photo albums. And then whenever your family member or friends is like, Are you friggin' looking at that photo that photo album again? <laughs> Stop yeah. looking at the photo album. Now it's just in our it's in our phones, it's in our pockets every day. Right. I think there's definitely two perspectives that you can look at and say, Are you looking at them to get over it? Or are you looking at them because you're not over it and it's actually making it worse? Right. Uh, very cool. And I think it also kind of gives a little bit of credence to those people that say, I mean, if you're seeing if you're seeing that, uh, as you said, the results show that people that are creeping more are having these higher PTSD uh, symptomology, um, that might give credence to people that are deleting their ex-partners off these these platforms, removing them from it so they right. can't do that. Right. That might yeah. be actually beneficial. It might be. Yeah. Yeah. The 21st century action, which is delete and block. Like, yeah. yeah, it might actually not be because they want, they're trying to, you know, be mean to their partners or anything. It might actually be a self-protective mechanism. Mm -hmm. um, I'd be curious to see if that so actually harshly. does help people. Right. Yeah, like maybe, yeah. maybe that maybe people that yeah. you have like two groups of people, some that delete all their partners from Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram or whatever. And the ones that don't and are the ones that are still creeping doing worse. I mean, who knows? Right. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I don't really, I don't have the data, you know, ready to go yet. Yeah, but of course. Just in, yeah. Um, looking at some qualitative answers that I've gotten so far, it seems like, you know, people are, you know, they're either, uh, creeping a lot or if they're not creeping a lot of times the reason that they say that they're not is uh, because they're just trying to move on yeah so it's interesting lydia we know that you've got some exciting new research upcoming give drake and i a chance to take guesses at your hypotheses or we'll make our own hypotheses based on your research questions and perhaps in a couple months a few months a year whatever that might be we'll get you back on the show and we'll get these answers straightened out for us okay great <laughs> how's that sound that sounds wonderful all right. Okay. So study one, um, looking <laughs> at uh, people who are married and unmarried um, and comparing infidelity related PTSD with PTSD from, you know, more typical criterion A traumas. Uh, the first question would be whether you think that the uh, PTSD levels are going to be similar or different comparing, you know, the infidelity and criterion A traumas. Um, and whether you think there are going to be different effects on health and how that might happen. 
These are good. <laughs> so uh, I, I think, I think I, Kyle should lead because I yeah, feel like I, I have know. a little bit more in this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter if I'm wrong, but it matters. <laughs> it's more if important if I'm wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Um, so to answer the first question, if there would be the first question is, in essence, is there a difference between PTSD levels in married versus unmarried couples? Uh, and that... between Bet- um, between the infidelity related PTSD yeah. and then criterion A. Yeah. Okay, so I think there, uh, I think there would be differences between um, infidelity and uh, criterion A traumas with infidelity behaviors producing higher rates of PTSD. That'd be my first guess. I would also suggest that there would be higher rates of PTSD in married couples versus unmarried couples okay okay interesting yeah i'm gonna kind of build off of yours but uh i disagree with the married couples thing Mm. i think that i think length of relationship will be the big indicator here uh i think that if if it's possible uh to look at relationship satisfaction in some way like perceived relationship satisfaction before this infidelity occurred would have been, would be an amazing amazing thing to see uh and i think that would really be a huge predictor if you have a relationship that you really think is thriving uh mm-hmm. and then you have an unfaithful act occur i think that would be a huge predictor and that would definitely increase your ptsd uh I'm not sure if you're looking at that that's a crazy that's a it's a really cool question i think could that could be answered in the future in your work um but i also think that uh f- regarding like actual physiological changes and differences i think that um i think infidelity would actually like the the individuals experiencing trauma from infidelity will experience more immunologic like more stress on their immune system uh, or mm-hmm. worse functioning of their immune system because i think yes. it enca- encapsulates more um just more aspects of their lives uh, socially right like relationally, psychologically, and it could be, who knows, right? It could impact work life depending on what your situations are. All these things could be impacted. Not to not to change anything with the criterion, uh, criterion A uh, trauma. That stuff is very impactful and change. It'll definitely impact people's uh, health. But I think that infidelity just has all these things working against it. Right. I, I completely agree with you on that. Um, I think that when we look at non-interpersonal criterion A traumas and interpersonal ones, um, I think there are going to definitely be differences there. Um, so I think interpersonal traumas are going to be more impactful on health and um, infidelity is going to be um, more similar to that. But I, I agree with you that infidelity is going to be, um, it's going to have such a big impact on many areas of life. It's not going to be you know, just in, in like one, you know, kind of aspect of their lives. So it's influencing so many different parts. So it's, it would be difficult to kind of get away from it. Um, Yeah, that's exactly my thought. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would, I, I, I know, I know nothing of PTSD. I know nothing of the treatments, but I imagine that a lot of, a lot of it too is, is developing supports and developing relationships. And, and if you've suddenly swept that away, in the sense that you would do with, you know, a very close and intimate interpersonal relationship. Right. Who do you turn to? Like, exactly. who's that's the a, support? That's a great point that um, yeah. it's the person who you would normally be turning to, to support you and to get you through really hard times is the same person that betrayed you. So, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, how do you, how do you navigate that? And, and who do you turn to next? Um, or do yeah. you just kind of, you know, and, and if you do plan on staying in the relationship, how much do you even divulge to people who are outside of that relationship. So, yeah. you know, can you end up getting social support from other people? 
Um, so yeah, I think those are all really great questions. Support systems are yeah. a huge part of it. Yeah, absolutely. It, it goes back. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Nobody goes out for drinks with their friends and is like, oh yeah, by the way, like that's just not. I don't know. I I hope that I'm never in that situation that I'd well, have they, to have that I conversation. I hope that they with do friend, though. But I, I know you. Well, say I'd that, hope Kyle, that somebody would hope... say that. That that I think is the big thing is. Do you have somebody that you would want to say that to, or that you'd be absolutely. comfortable saying it to? Right. Yes, absolutely. But, aspect. but what I'm saying is, uh, yes, do yes, casual. absolutely. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, I don't know that, like, I don't know that we've built that script socially. Like that, right. that it's social a, script doesn't exist. I don't think. Right. Don't it seems like a pretty taboo subject. Um, yeah. You know, especially if they do stay in the relationship, it, it's a pretty taboo thing to yeah. talk about because Certainly. the assumption is that you wouldn't stay in the relationship. Um, yeah. So, so and I think that that feedback you'd get too would be probably echoing that thought, right? Right. Like, exactly. how could you stay in that relationship, kind of thing, or why yeah. would you stay yeah. in that relationship? Um, but there's been some other research that, um, and and th it's kind of hard to determine exactly how common infidelity is because you know people don't typically want to admit to it all the time. Um, yeah. But they estimated that it happens in 25% of relationships. So that's really, wow. it's, it's high. Um, and then if, you know, 50% of people are experiencing PTSD afterwards, you know, that's a huge population a that we're missing. Proportion. And, yeah, and that's, a, that's a big population that's going to be affected by this. So that's why your work is so impactful, right? right. So, yeah. Very and, rarely do people have that big of a population that are, they're looking at. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> yeah. 25% of people that have been in a relationship, that are going to be in a relationship might have that kind of interaction, which is crazy. Um, do, you, do you mean 25% will be cheated on or will have infidelity be a part of the relationship? Uh, Twenty-five In 25% of relationships, infidelity will be a part of that relationship. Right. So there's going to be the cheaters and the ones that are being right. cheated so, on. So at least one that. person in that couple is, is engaging. <laughs> I don't want to be sympathizing with the cheaters, but I'm sure there's some things going on with them too that are affecting them. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. actually um, a, that's a, an interesting like next step for this as well is um, looking at um, you know, whether they are also um, experiencing, you know, a lot of distress related to it, because um, I mean, there could be people who, you know, just don't really care. Um, hopefully that's not yeah. the majority, but other yeah. people who, you know, yeah. who like make, you know, just a wrong decision at some point or um, didn't really think about the consequences. And then they might feel like they have really um, gone against their own moral values and, and that mm -hmm. kind of um, the effects that that can have on, on yourself too. Um, that could be really meaningful. Yeah, I think it's, uh, there's just so much interesting stuff that can be explored within that. Right. I mean, yeah. there, the communication and, and relationships are so, uh, so complex. And there's so many things that could be going on where the person that's cheating on somebody might actually, that might have been like the last straw just to get out of the relationship. There right. may have been communications to get out of it and it just didn't work. Mm -hmm. And then it wasn't as malicious as most people see it, right? I think, I think with this research and with infidelity, uh, we like to paint them as bad guys mm -hmm. uh, or bad people in general and it's not always the case there's a lot of complex things going on within each relationship that you really need to consider right exactly nothing is black and white it's, yeah as much as we'd gray. like it to be yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, i think that's why they called it 50 shades of gray is that like am i wrong <laughs> that? i i didn't read the books i, I just heard something, something about the books oh oh okay got you got you okay good good to know <laughs> Okay, I think well, now that's... that we've thoroughly muddied the waters, I think now is a great time to take a quick break. Um, let's uh, let's take a moment. We'll refill our cups, make sure that we're good to go, and uh, we'll listen to some fine beats before we come back for uh, quick rapid-fire questions with Lydia. Thanks, Lydia. Thank you. 
Welcome back. We are currently in the brain break, which means it's our favorite little segment with Lydia. Rapid fire questions. Lydia, you mentioned a couple points that you're a big Harry Potter fan. What is your favorite Harry Potter book? Um, Half-Blood Prince and Deathly Hallows. Okay, is Half-Blood Prince number six? It is. And Deathly Hallows. Deathly Hallows seven. seven. Okay. Okay. I never uh, got past movie five. or book. Yeah. Oh, I mean the. Well, wait. Are you asking about the the numbers? Your, your preference. Oh, preference. No, your, no, your preference. Okay. Preference is for the books because they yeah. have a lot more information, um, especially mm-hmm. later on in the books. However, I love the movies too. The movies are the only way I know that how it ends. <laughs> I never I recently the series. over so the long. break. I recently tried to rewatch them because mm-hmm. I never actually finished them. And I know you're probably gonna hate me for that. No, but okay. I never finished the last two movies because I just couldn't really get behind the hype. And then I, I recently said I'm going to rewatch them. And I got through two and a half. And I was like, this is so long. Yeah. They're, well, yeah. Like two and a half it, hours each. Yeah. Uh, the last time that I read them all was on, uh, it was in college and on a summer break. Because that's the only time I had time to actually read them all. Um, but sometimes <laughs> I'll just like listen to the audiobooks, which is also the really good. Oh, yeah. yeah okay. That's a yeah. very smart play. Mm-hmm. So, on a long, so on a long drive, it's a, it's a good thing to keep mm. company. And so are you a fan of the new series then? Uh, the whatever that is, the amazing oh, Fantastic, Beast. whatever, Fantastic Beasts. Yeah. yeah, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find them. I do like it, but not as much. Yeah, naturally. Uh, Lydia, tea or coffee? Uh, coffee. Coffee. Uh, favorite place to get a drink, get a coffee? Uh, anywhere in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's How many coffees have you had in Italy? That's what I need to know. A lot. <laughs> Have you? Oh, my fiance's Italian, so. Oh, that makes Smart sense. Smart play for you to get married to an Italian. Yes, that's fair. Me to every cafe that we pass. <laughs> now, was this obsession there before you met him, or is this a thing that that grew once you met him and went I to mean, Italy? I really liked coffee and cappuccinos before that, but then I went to Italy and realized that their cappuccinos are way better than anything that I've ever had in the U.S. So, yeah. So, I've heard there's a lot of good both. food options in general that are better in Italy than yeah. everywhere else. So, you can't yeah. get anything that doesn't taste great. <laughs> All right. Uh, pizza or pasta? Uh, pizza. Okay. Favorite pizza? Um, I usually make my own at home, mm. and uh, it always has goat cheese on it and prosciutto. Oh, damn. Fancy. Damn. <laughs> Italian Italian yeah. uh, fiance. This is all adding up now. Yeah. Makes yeah. More sense. Certainly makes sense. I just want pizza all the time. <laughs> Who doesn't really, though? Right. Lydia, well done. You've answered our rapid fire questions. Thank you. Anyways, uh, enjoy the break, enjoy the tunes. Uh, we'll be back in a second or two. PhD candidate at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte studying um, stress and trauma research and this is my brain buzz episode on infidelity related PTSD. Back to our hosts. Uh, let's talk about myths and misconceptions Lydia because this is a really cool topic. I, th- I imagine there's tons that we could talk about. So do you have a myth or a misconception that's popular in your area? Uh, yeah so one of the biggest ones is that um, stress and traumatic events always have negative effects on people. Um, so 
for the longest time, stress research has really just focused on the negative and asking questions like um, who is likely to get this disorder and what kind of interventions can we use? Um, and so there's a lot of just really focus on the negative there, but there are also a lot of positives um, and people are actually pretty resilient um, to even to major stressors or, or traumatic events. Um, so they most people actually maintain stability. Um, and even when people are affected, then even if they are also affected negatively, that doesn't mean that um, everything is necessarily bad. So people can also um, exhibit post-traumatic growth after stressful events. And I actually have a, um, a colleague who is studying infidelity, but she is looking at post-traumatic growth with infidelity. So we work a lot together, but... Um, but she focuses on really the positive effects that it can have on people's relationships. You're the negative. Yeah, You're the one I'm, that looks like I'm the, the negative. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's awesome. I, I was actually drawn to the idea of post-traumatic growth. So I, I love that you bring this up. It's such a cool concept of uh, traumatic events, like this like resilient flower growing through like this like non-nourished ground or whatever, right? You can, yeah. you can grow from traumatic event. And I think infidelity is such a cool aspect. As we talked about, there's so many working pieces mm -hmm. that... You ca it can't all be negative. There has right. to be some positive in the end, right? Um, right? And so for some people, it's very apparent. And some people, it's uh, less apparent. Exactly. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. yep. So my colleague, um, Victoria O'Connor, she really focuses on that. And she's currently developing a new measure that's specific to infidelity and post-traumatic growth. So that'll be really exciting to me. Really cool. Too. That's also just a cool like thing to mention as well, because we did talk a lot about uh, the negative effects of infidelity in relationships today. But there are things that can be positives or can be pulled from these things uh, and being silver really linings, reflective as it were. Yeah, silver linings and being reflective about how you, what you're doing in a relationship uh, to make that relationship better, not just what someone else is doing to, to make it worse, right? Exactly. All right. It's that time of the episode, which means we are sadly coming to a close, but that doesn't mean the fun's over. Lydia, where can our friends get in touch with you? Um, you can uh, email me at lydia.roos at uncc.edu. I also have a website. Um, it's LydiaGRoos.com. Perfect. Yes, your website is very nice, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yes. Um, and we'll have links uh, both to your email address and the website on our website, BrainBuzzPodcast.com. So for anybody listening along, playing at home, they are welcome to go check it out there. It'll be under uh, where all of our guest bios are, under the bios tab. And uh, go down to our find Lydia, and uh, we'll have that all, all that information available to you there. Lydia, thank you for coming on. It's been a blast. Uh, we look forward to having you back on in the future, assuming you don't despise this whole operation as it is. <laughs> of Although, <course>. just... <laughs> great. So we'll we'll definitely be excited to have you back at, at a future point in time where we can answer those hypotheses. We can figure out who is truly right, Drake or I. Yeah, always the true, the true test. And and you also have some really cool work that we didn't get to touch on today. Yes. So, I mean, we do hope to have you back on, uh, and I'm sure everybody's going to want to have you back on. So once we hear the outcry and people start uh, boycotting us before you <laughs> yeah. come on a second time, we'll get you Clamoring. on before then. So nobody needs to worry about that. Awesome. I'm yeah. excited. Looking forward to it. Perfect. <laughs> all right. And with that, we'll call it another episode. Um, you can check us out and all our previous episodes on brainbuzzpodcast.com. Uh, there you'll find a link to all the episodes, this one included, as well as all our guest bios, Lydia's included. Uh, so stop by, say hello there. Otherwise, uh, join the conversation with us on Twitter at BrainBuzzPod uh, or on Instagram. I believe it's also at BrainBuzzPod and Facebook.com slash BrainBuzzPod. All right. And with that, we'll say goodbye. Thanks again. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks.